over with, so whether you liked it or not, it's done, all right? Uh, We're going deep this morning. I don't know why. This is the message that the Holy Spirit laid on me, and the most important thing that a pastor has to do when he gets in front of a congregation is be obedient. That's all, because this isn't my moment. This isn't my hour. This isn't my, oh, my 25 minutes, however much time I have. This is God's time. And so the message he's laid on our heart is out of Matthew chapter 2. So you can turn there. I think it's page 807. You are definitely going to need to be in your word this morning. You're going to need to be opening it up. We're going to exegete. Oh, glory. Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah, we're going to exegete here a little bit. I, um, I was amazed the thing God revealed to me through this path. Matthew, first of all. What do we know about Matthew? Um, follower of Jesus, the disciple, his book was to the Jews. He was trying to convince the Jews of Jesus as God. And so his book was written to convince the Jews of that. It's one of the synoptic gospels. We know that, which basically means Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are kind of similar together. Most theologians believe that the Bible, Mark was the first one written, and then Matthew and Luke borrowed from them. But Matthew is the only one who gives us an account of the Magi. And that's where we're going today. Out of chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Judea. Okay, so we know right away that this is occurring sometime after Jesus' birth. Now, obviously, there's a misconception about the way we present it in most traditional Christmas stories. Probably, most likely, the Magi did not show up the night Jesus was born. I think everybody understands that. Traditionally, the Christian church has celebrated January 6th as the date of Epiphany, the kings. Uh, but even that is not going to make sense considering the many uh, the words in Scripture, the logistics of the trip. We'll talk about this more as we go into this. But it's after Jesus was born uh, in Bethlehem of Judea. During the time of King Herod... What do we know about King Herod? Oh, Lord, Lord, Lord. He was a vicious, yeah. I was given the thumbs down sign. He was a terrible, vicious king. By the time of Jesus' birth, you see, Rome had a two-tiered system. Rome was in control, and they had a two-tiered system of government. So you had Roman governors in these provincial outlets, and then rulers over the various areas. We know because of the decree of the census, the Quirinius was the governor over the area. So he was the Roman governor over that area, and Herod was the king. Now, Herod was only a half-Jew, all right? And the people hated him. He, uh, not only because of his ancestry, he was only half-Jew, but that he sold himself out to the Romans for his own personal gain. He became friends with Octavian, who later became uh, Caesar Augustus, through a military battle, and clawed, clawed, really, literally, literally clawed his way up the corporate ladder, um, very much, he was brutal, brutal. We know that he killed his father-in-law, uh, several of his ten wives, two of his sons, and um, he ignored the laws of God. There was nothing about this guy that was likable. When he died, he ruled for 37 years, and when he died in 4 BC, he had three children, which took, they divided the kingdom up. And we know a little bit about Herod through his descendants, Antipas, what do you know about Antipas? Antipas, he was the one that beheaded John the Baptist. He was also in the pre-crucifixion trial situation, mocking Jesus. Philip, oh, by the way, he had an affair with Philip's, um, his brother's wife, and that caused the whole John the Baptist thing, right? Philip was the other son. And the last one was uh, Archelaus, and Archelaus was so bad, 
He was such a bad ruler that they deposed him and put a Roman governor in his place who was Pontius Pilate. And you know how that story goes. All right? So that tells us a little bit about during the time of the rule of King Herod. Magi from the east. Magi from the east. Well, let's talk about these guys. For, this is all going to be very important as God leads us to a moment of truth that he wants to reveal. So hang in there with me a little bit. Magi from the east. They're wise men, basically. Uh, Magi is what the Gospel of Matthew uses. They were traveling west, obviously. And their goal was single-minded. They were paying homage to a future king. They ca- and this is so important. They came to... Worship. It was their goal from the get-go. I want you to know as we start unpacking this passage of scripture, this is a faith journey. And this is what a faith journey looks like, even though it's being delivered by heathens. They were Parthian. Did you hear anything about Parthian? Parthian was under the rule of Persia, the Persian Empire. Parthian um, was centered in present-day Iran, all right? So the Parthian government had like um, uh, a British parliament feel to it. There was a House of Commons, and in the ho- uh, there was a House of Commons and the Lords. There, there were two groups. The Magi would have been in that ruling group, the nobility, the prestigious And they were actually a priestly role. Their job in government was to pick the kings. I want you to know that this was a big deal. And how do we know it was a big deal when the Magi came? Is because in verse 3, and I'm going to skip down here just for a second. It says, when King Herod heard this, that the Magi were in Jerusalem, he was what? Troubled. Troubled, disturbed, worried. And not only that, all of Jerusalem with him. This was a big deal. Woo! The Magi have come. Now Herod was a little worried, but the other people were like, Woohoo! We got kings in town. We got nobility around. They caused a stir. So there was something about them. There was something about these people uh, and who they were. It wasn't only the message that they were bringing, it was the messenger. Also, if you put them in Persia, Uh, in Iran, if you put them under the Persian kingdom, it gives them access to two very important prophecies. First of all, Daniel, you know, when Daniel was exiled, exiled, he was sent to where? Babylon. And it was in Babylon that a Parthian government ruled. Satraps, all those guys. Satraps, prefects, administrators. Daniel was an administrator over satraps. Probably the prefects were more like what a magistrate is. A magistrate. Magi, that's where we get that word. These were ruling people. They were prestigious, uh, but they have access to two prophecies. One would be through Daniel 9.24. The other one, you might not be aware of this, but there was a prophet from Mesopotamia. Anybody know his name? And he spoke a prophecy about a coming Messiah, church, specifically about a star. And this is another reason why we put the Magi in Persia, and you need to know that because we need to know where their journey begins. Who was it? Balaam. 
The whole story about Balaam's donkey, Numbers 24, if you go there, that passage of scripture says, and a star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel, a ruler will come out of Jacob. So they had, that's all they needed. Now, I don't know, how many follow the stars? (laughs) I don't follow, I I can't follow directions. I can barely follow the GPS. I certainly can't follow a star. I don't even know what that looks like. I mean, a north star, I guess you could go towards it. But basically, I'm saying they didn't quite necessarily need the star. They knew generally where they were headed, right? They were going to Israel. And if you're going to go to Israel to look for a religious leader or a king to rise out, where might you go? Jerusalem. Now, the star led them. I'm not denying that. I'm just saying that it's like a no-brainer. So, let's go back. They came to Jerusalem. Now, we've only gotten through the first, we've only gotten through the first verse here, right? <laughs> so, are you doing okay? You alive? Are the kids sleeping yet? Tabernacle is not like this, guys. It rocks! <laughs> By the way, kid, okay, where are the children? Kids, next week, Tabernacle's back. We're talking about the armor of God. Great series on the armor of God. Yeah! Okay, so, uh, they can't, I'm a journey guy. I don't know if you know anything about my background. I have a master's degree in communications, but the bulk of that is script and screenwriting. My emphasis was script and screenwriting. I am a story guy. Do you know why I love stories? Because they're all about the journey. Basically, story structure is life structure. You start off with backstory. Your journey begins as Christians and uh, with a Christian world. We believe your story begins when you meet Jesus Christ. That's where your story really begins. And then the journey has to transform you before you end up happily ever after. The journey has to change you. And how does it do that? Every story's like this. How does a journey change you? Trouble. Trouble, trouble, trouble. Trial, tribulation, trouble. There's always a protagonist, there's always an antagonist, and you don't get your way. And that's what changes you. And I love that. I want you to know, and this is why we did all the work unpacking the first verse, is because I want you to know that this trip, this faith journey, was probably going to take anywhere between, if you put them in Iran somewhere, it's going to take between 600 and 1,200 miles to get there. Listen, I just went to Canada this year. It took me about 850, 850 miles to get one way, right? I did not go there without making reservations. I wanted to know I had a cabin to stay in. I wanted to know I had a pontoon boat. I wanted to know that I got my fishing line. I had all that stuff laid down before I got there. These people did not do a Google search before they left. What was it that made them leave their homeland and travel 1,200 miles on a camel? Hello? I rode a bike across Maryland once. And one day, we traveled 100 miles. By the way, a camel can travel 10 miles an hour and up to 100 miles a day. Just bits of information that you might want to know. If you're traveling camel. I rode a bike 100 miles one day on this trip, which was like a week and a half. At the end of the 100 miles, I could not walk. I don't know how I got on the bike the next day. It wasn't better the following morning. And these people were on camels. Ah! 
I know it was the meat of transportation, the mode of transportation. But let's think about this journey that they're taking. What would a couple prophecies, a star, and you're going to leave what you know to be sure. Hey, they were Persians. Rome did not like them. So you got political fear. They were carrying gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You got thieves. You've got weather. You've got terrain. This was a faith journey. And it was built on one thing, church. Why did they go? What's the Bible say? They went because they wanted to worship. That was their motivation. I don't know who told them what. I'm just telling you, we know from the Bible that they went to worship. And they did not go without a considerable risk. The trip probably took them three to 12 months. And when they got there, I love this. When they got there, now they're in Jerusalem, right? Hey! Woo! We made it! Wow! They go straight to the big man himself, and what do they say? Where is he? Where is he that was born the king of the Jews? Did you ever stop to think about the nature of that question? They didn't stop and say, hey, was there a king born here? Hey, was, what, have you guys noticed anything different? Is there something going on around Jerusalem today? Where is he? We know he's here, folks. This is a faith journey. They know without Google. They know without taking their cell phone or their smartphone and making reservations. They know without the information in their heads. They know he's here, but they were wrong. Weren't they? He wasn't. But why wouldn't he be? Why wouldn't he be here? Oh, smell that. Oh, yeah, animal sacrifices. Yeah, the blood is flowing. Listen, listen, I can hear the chants. I can hear the teachers teaching the word, the religious people in the the temple. By the way, Herod did do one good thing. Herod's temple. And it was the center of all social, political, and religious life in Israel. It was a happening place. Everything sensory overlord. This is the place. This is the place. He's got to be here. But it was only a form of godliness denying its power. Woo. Woo. Form of godliness. We know he's here. He's got to be here. And by the way, I skipped something there. We... Where is he that was born the king of the Jews? We saw his star arise and we have come to, yeah, I don't want you to miss that. They said it themselves. We've come to worship him. It wasn't a social meeting. It wasn't a social call. It wasn't an educational trip. It wasn't a vacation. They were there for a singular purpose. And that marks a faith journey, dedication, discipline, devotion. All right. And what does Herod say? Oh, this should have raised all the red flags, all the lights. Ding, 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 survey says, he doesn't know what he's talking about. What's he say? Uh, Let me get back to you on that. (laughs) That magi had to be going like, what is the deal with him? 
I mean, he's the king of Israel and he doesn't know what's going on. Doesn't he know the prophecies? Doesn't he see the star? What is the deal with King Herod? We got to watch our backs here. Hey, it didn't take an angel talking to them in a dream to say, this guy's a little loopy when it comes to religious things. All right? Uh, Yeah, he says, I'll get back to you on that. So they've got the red flag. Everything around them should say, this is the place. This is what's going on. But I I want you to go to uh, 2 Timothy 3, 5. A form of godliness, but denying its power. Everything about Jerusalem was a form of godliness. It was all pointing to, this is it. This is the place. This is the thing. He should be here because the form of religion is all around it. The form of religion is all right here. It's all here. But it's denying its power. Hmm. Hmm. I want to tell you something about this passage of scripture. Look what it says there. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And Paul says to Timothy, have nothing to do with them. I want to tell you what is leading up to this moment. Paul is saying to Timothy, oh, oh, the troubles are going to come. You're going to have serious tough times ahead of you. I don't know what was going on there, but basically, hey, you're going to have some problems here. But I want you to know, stand on what you've been taught. Stand on the word. Work out your faith daily. So when the time of testing comes, your faith will have power. Your faith will not be in vain. Forms of godliness will not hold up in times. Forms of godliness will not hold up. You guys want to cue that uh, video clip in just a second here. A form of godliness will not hold up in your time of tribulation or testing. That was proven by the Magi. When they made this incredible journey in faith, that journey was working something out in them. So that when they get to this moment, they understood this was just a form of godliness. There's something wrong here. What's going on? This isn't the right place. He's not here. It looks like he should be here. But if your faith doesn't work in tribulation and testing, it doesn't work. How many of you saw the interview with Robbie Parker after the Sandy Hook massacre? I'm going to play that for you simply because this man smells like smoke. I'm saying he's been through the fire What he says in a moment like, this was the day after the shooting and his daughter was killed in that massacre. His six-year-old daughter. If your faith doesn't work in that moment, folks, it doesn't work. And you want it to work. Don't you want it to work? Don't you want your faith to work? You don't want a form of godliness. You want to know its power. You know when you're going to know its power? You're going to know it when the rubber meets the road. And if it doesn't work then, it doesn't work. Go ahead and play this. This is a four-minute video clip. So my name's Robbie Parker. My family is one of the families that lost a child yesterday in the Sandy Hook Elementary School shootings here in Connecticut. I've been contacted by so many people and agencies wanting to know 
how we're doing, and I just thought that this might be the best way to, to share those feelings with everybody. First of all, I'd really like to offer our deepest condolences to all the families who were directly affected by this shooting. It's a horrific tragedy, and we want everybody to know that our hearts and our prayers go out to them. This includes the family of the shooter. I can't imagine how hard this experience must be for you. And I want you to know that our family and our love and our support goes out to you as well. At this time, our things go out to so many people, so many friends and family and, and complete strangers who we don't know for all the love, condolences, and support that you've given to us. My daughter, Emily, would be one of the first ones to be standing and giving her love and support to all those victims because that's the type of person that she is. Not because of any parenting that my wife and I could have done, but because those are the gifts that were given to her by her Heavenly Father. As the deep pain begins to settle into our hearts, we find comfort reflecting on the incredible person that Emily was and how many lives that she was able to touch in her short time here on earth. Emily was bright, creative, and very loving. Emily was always willing to try new things other than food. She loved to use her talents to touch the lives of everyone that she came into contact with. She was an exceptional artist, and she always carried around her markers and pencils so that she never missed an opportunity to draw a picture or make a card for those around her. I can't count the number of times Emily noticed someone feeling sad or frustrated and would rush to find a piece of paper to draw them a picture or to write them an encouraging note. Emily's card making was expressed beautifully this last October when she placed a very special card that she had made into the casket with her grandpa, who also just recently died of a tragic accident. Emily was a mentor to her two little sisters and delighting in teaching them how to read, dance, and find the simple joys in life. Emily's laughter was infectious, and all those who had the pleasure to meet her would agree that this world is a better place because she has been in it. As we move on from what happened here, what happened to so many people, let it not turn into something that defines us but something that inspires us to be better, to be more compassionate and more humble people. Let us please keep the sentiments of love that we feel for our families and the compassion that we feel for others, even complete strangers, and keep them with us at all times, not just in times of sorrow and tragedy. I don't know Robbie Parker, but he smells like smoke. His faith works. There's no way he could get up there and do that without a faith that was working. And I bet if I found out more about him, I would see the journey that he's been on up to this moment. I hope your faith works, that it's not just a form of godliness, 
but it knows the power that lies therein. And so let's go on with this passage of scripture. We can wrap this up. Uh, Herod calls them all together and he says, oh yeah, all of my peeps got together and uh, you're supposed to be in Bethlehem. (laughs) Okay, geography lesson. That's six more miles. Not a big deal. Unless you traveled 1,200 miles to get to Jerusalem. Ah! Ah! I go to fitness classes. I do group exercise classes at the YMCA all the time. And I can tell you when an instructor says, okay, we're going to do 25 push-ups. 25. Five more! No! No! I'm not doing five more. You said 25 and that's all I'm doing. Said it should have been Jerusalem. I'm not going six more miles. But that's not what a faith journey looks like. That's not what a cause. And and, oh, look at these magi in verse uh, nine and 10. After they heard the king, they didn't go, I'm going. I'm not doing five more push-ups. I am not going six more miles. If it's not in Jerusalem, he's not here. They went on their way and the star, which apparently had disappeared, appeared again they saw it rise ahead of them until they stopped at the place where the child was and when they saw the star what Woohoo! yeah there was no there was no bitterness there was no anger there was no resentment here yeah he's there and he's six miles away from where he we thought he would be he's outside the walls of where religion was supposed to be. He's not here. He's six miles away. He's thousands of miles away. And so, this journey, this dedication, this devotion reminds me of something I, we learned this summer at, at Centrifuge, kids' uh, summer camp, Romans 12.1. Therefore, brothers, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to make your life a living sacrifice. A living, have you ever started thinking about a living sacrifice? The faith journey that they're on, that's what a living sacrifice looks like. Daily working out your faith. Living a life of devotion, thanksgiving, gratitude, giving, worship. Praise, living it out every day for the entire step of the journey so that when you arrive, your faith works in the time of testing. It works. But you want to stop there, don't you? Because that's the feel good part. Oh, living sacrifice. Well, I don't know if that feels good or not. I don't know what living sacrifice. Holding and pleasing to God. This is your reasonable act of, and by the way, this is the only place that the New Testament ever mentions the word worship. This is your reasonable act of What? A living sacrifice. And then you want to stop there. But it's verse 2. How do you make that look? Do not conform then to the patterns of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you will be able to test and approve the will of God, his good, pleasing, and hallelujah. So when you get to Jerusalem and you only see a form of godliness, you know it. Because it denies the power that makes your faith real. I want to finish this by taking you to Colossians 3. I have been on this passage of scripture for a year. God has landed me. The Holy Spirit has landed me in Colossians 3 for a year. It's like ripping me up. Now I'm not going to go into it. 
But if you want to talk about the sacrifice, the living sacrifice, the lifestyle of worship, then you do a study of Colossians chapter 3. You know what it says? I'll just give you the overview. Put your mind on things, what? Above, in heaven. Put your heart on things in heaven, above, and then take off, take off, take off, take off, and put on, and put on, and put on, and put on, and every day. And then I just want to, this is the thing that the Spirit led me to. Verse 13 of chapter 3. I've only been in this church a year, but I've seen more of this than anything else. And this is not me condemning, okay? Because if you're feeling condemnation, then you're experiencing something from Satan because God does not bring condemnation. And I'm not bringing condemnation. I'm just saying this is something I think we need to be aware of. Go to verse 13. Bear with one another. Forgive one another. If you have a grievance with someone, forgive as you have been forgiven. Oh, we are terrible about picking up offenses. Why do you do that? Why do I do that? Why do we do that when we've been forgiven of everything? You want to live a living sacrifice? Start by forgiving somebody. You forgive somebody today. And you got a little offense against somebody, you remember what Jesus did on the cross at Calvary for you. And then you study Colossians chapter 3 and you start your journey anew. Because I'm going to tell you, apart from forgiveness, you will only ever know a form of godliness and you'll never No, it's true power because everything about God and the cross was about forgiveness. Amen. Bear with one another, forgive one another. On coming to the house in verse 11, they saw the child. I don't do good with kids. (laughs) I did this last year too, you remember? And I started crying. This is Orlando. What they find there? Listen, there was nothing in there was nothing in Bethlehem. There was nothing that should have pointed them to a form of godliness. It was a shepherding community, for goodness sakes. It was the lowest of the lowest. And what did they come to? The star over a house, which, by the way, would have been an amazing thing. The star right over the house. It couldn't have been up in the sky. It had to be lower. And when they came, they saw the child with his mother, and they did what? Oh, yes. Journey complete. I'm going to tell you from beginning to end. From the beginning to the end of your journey, it's all about one thing. Worship. It's always going to be about worship. A baby born in a manger. God was, I believe, and you could argue with me theologically, I don't believe God was in the temple anymore. His spirit didn't move like it does now. He's not sealed to the life of a believer like we understand it in Christendom. His spirit moved and was supposed to be in an ark in the temple. The presence was there, was supposed to be, but it wasn't. You know where it was? The presence of God was the word of God made flesh. And they were not fooled because their lifestyle of worship gave them the faith to know 
and they bowed down. And by the way, that word proscunio is the big bow. It's prostrate. It's face down. Three kings of nobility and power. Uh, Psalms 18.25. To the faithful you show yourself faithful. You got to work it out, you know. You got to work it out. It doesn't end in Jerusalem. It doesn't end in this building. This Jerusalem that you're in, this isn't what it's about. I'm not saying this is a form of godliness. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying you can easily mistake it for that. You can think God's just here. He's not just here. He's six miles away. And you've got to make the journey. You've got to make the journey to be where he is because that's where the action's happening. There is a joy in the journey. There's a life you can love on the way. There is a wonder and wildness to life and freedom for those who obey. And all those who seek it shall find him. A promise to all who believe. Hope for the hopeless and sight for the blind. There is a joy in the journey. There's a light we can love on the way. There is a wonder and wildness to life. And freedom for those who obey. There's freedom for those who obey. Our altar call today is going to be this. Do you only know a form of godliness? Do you know the power of your faith? Does your faith work for you? I know a lot of you, a lot of you, most of you, have walked through fire. You smell like smoke. Do you know, you know then if your faith works. But will you, like Timothy, when he's admonished by Paul, do you want a faith that works? Well, you could start at Colossians 3.13. You could start by putting your eyes on heaven, putting your heart on heaven. That's going to be our altar call. Would you stand with me? Dear Heavenly Father, as we open up this time to you, an opportunity to respond to the word that you have brought forth. I just ask you to work in the lives of your people here, Father. We thank you for the gift of Jesus. What a precious, wonderful gift. A savior born in a manger. A king came as a child. We're so grateful. Lord, a living sacrifice is marked by a life of gratitude and thanksgiving. And if it's nothing more than coming down to the altar today and saying thank you, thank you, Thank you for what you've done for me, Lord Jesus. It's enough. It's a good start. I pray for these people and their, oh, their good hearts, Lord. Oh, they have great hearts. We are all trying, Lord. We're trying desperately to do your will. Pastor Curtis is trying to lead us, I believe, with all my heart in a way that you've called him. Father, help us to be unified in love. Help us to forgive one another. Help us not to pick up an offense. Holy Spirit, we open up this time to you. You may be glorified in our worship, our life journey in Jesus' name. Amen. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have 
you. I love you. Have a great week in the Lord and um, happy new year. Amen. Have a good day.